Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 150, Scapegoats, Black Sheep, and Double Bind Situations. It's November 29th, 2023. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, etc. I am also a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. What I do is I help people be happy, healthy, and well-loved, even when life is extremely difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any capacity. My music is by Howie Moscovich. Scapegoats, black sheep, and double bind situations. Oh my heavens, people. This is a very, very large topic. Three different elements, but I'm combining them because they have some common ground or some common territory. If you are new to my podcast, I would request that you go to my website and enter my giveaway. The prizes won't, the winners won't be picked until 2024 and notified. And then the prizes shipped out in 2024 because of my car accident and Labor Day and my limited mobility at this point. But do enter my giveaway. Next, I do want you to understand that nothing I say in this podcast or any of my other content, podcasts, written, YouTube videos, or otherwise, is designed or intended to be medical or therapy advice. You should get your medical or therapy advice from a licensed healthcare provider, of which I am not. Next, if you are in the deaf or hard of hearing community or you know someone who is, please let them know that I do have transcripts for all of my podcasts on my hosting platform, rss.com which will appear within a few hours to 24 hours of a new podcast being published and live. Last but not least, certainly not least, if you have been struggling in life, if life is too hard for you, if you feel as if you don't matter or the world would be better off without you, I am, first of all, you're breaking my heart. Secondly, that's not, it's not true that the world would be better off without you. Although I understand that's probably how you might be feeling. I am asking you to stop and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. Or you may call or text 988. I'm not sure that 988 calling or texting is operational in all states in the U.S. I've not been able to pin that down. Hopefully it will be in the future, if not now, but call or text uh, 988 or the other number I just gave you. So this is very uh, big topic because this idea of scapegoats, black sheep, and double bind situations, which I will lay out for you in a second, is very, very common in toxic families or dysfunctional families. It can also be found in the workplace and in other groups and organizations. And here's the thing. You could be the family scapegoat or a scapegoat in some other environment or in a double bind situation and you may have no idea. You, you, it could be totally your blind side. And I want you to understand that would be normal and that would be okay. That's reasonable. Don't, don't beat yourself up. If during this podcast you start to go, hmm, I, I actually might be the family scapegoat or, oh, I think this, I have, I'm in a double bind situation at work or what have you. Don't beat yourself up. Use this to, to empower your life and, 
Uh, I'm just telling you, this is extremely common. So we're going to start this podcast with getting some definitions for scapegoat, black sheep, and double bind, and some impacts before we dive into what are you going to do about this. So as a noun, scapegoat means one that is made to bear the blame of others. So in psychology, it's said to be one or more people, so it's one or more people who have or are going through negative experiences like failure or abuse and blame an innocent individual or group of people for that experience. And it has been used, so scapegoating has been used historically in history to uh, justify both discrimination and in, in some instances, mass murder. Another definition hearkening back to 1954 uh, from Allport is that scapegoating is the act of blaming an out group when the frustration of the in-group experience is blocked from obtaining a goal. Now, Freud, Freud said people displaced hostility, that scapegoating is people displacing hostility that they hold, that they hold towards unacceptable targets like your parents or your boss. And then they project that or displace that hostility onto less powerful people in their life. So that gives you the flavor that uh, scapegoating is really an act of projection, basically. And you are projecting hostility, anger, aggression, or other negative emotions onto another, another person, another group of people, another entity. And this actually, this whole concept of scapegoating is very interesting because what it does for the other people, when it happens in a family, when it happens in a family, it allows the family members to think or believe that they are healthier than they actually are because this would be their blind spot. So that gives you the lay of the land for scapegoating. Happens all across the board, whether you're talking about family, it can happen in friend groups, certainly in intimate relationships with spouses or significant others. Definitely can happen in sports and in organizations, neighborhood associations, you name it. Black sheep. Black sheep is a noun and it is Typically, there's, I got four definitions for you here. They're very similar, but what number one, one is who is considered disreputable or disgraceful by her, his or her relatives or associates. Number two, a disfavored or disreputable member of a group. Number three, a person who has done something bad that brings shame or embarrassment to his or her family. And number four, someone who embarrassed a group or family because the person is different or has gotten into trouble. So the thing about black sheep, although there's a considerable weight to disreputable or being disgraced or disfavored, you know, this last definition is you could just be different. When you are different from the crowd or you're different from your family or you're different from your friend group or you're different, it's like the square peg going into a round hole. People don't like, people do not like it when you're different. I, I tell you, I'm telling you, they don't like it. They like you to be like them. They want you to be like them because that gives them validation, gives them lots of things. But 
So the black sheep, I don't want you to walk away thinking you're bad or disgraceful or you've done something bad. Now you may have, I mean, I don't know. You could have gotten into trouble, but your family or your friend group or whoever this is might just be ashamed or embarrassed because you're so different. So I don't want you walking away thinking that black sheep it inherently means that you are bad or wrong or you've done something bad or wrong. Really, the black sheep is pointing out the kind of the odd man out. It's like the orphan archetype or the abandoned child uh, archetype. Now, as a noun, I'm going to move from black sheep because that's pretty straightforward to um, double bind, which is very interesting. And this, this, this is also, I would assess, more common than we realize. In a double bind situation, that's a situation where a person must choose between two or more equally unsatisfactory alternatives. And another definition is a psychological impasse created when a person perceives that someone in a position of power is making contradictory demands. In other words, it's a no-win situation. So the psychology of a double bind or the double bind theory is, is that it's a negative phenomenon that occurs in relationships when a significant person asks you to do X, but also asks you to do Y, in which there is conflict with X. So you're really, you know, you're, it's really a no-win situation is the right, is the right phrase or or you could say damned if you do damned if you don't so the conditions for a double bind typically are it's a significant relationship between people two or more people there is a negative consequence and a repeated experience and a mandate that prevents the victim from escaping the situation because of the conflicting demands so literally you are damned if you do and you damned if you don't now back in the day so going back to say the 50s or early 60s uh, the double bind situation used to be considered the cause of schizophrenia. Now that has is currently considered an outdated, outdated point of view. But what it does do is it underscores the very disturbing nature of a double bind situation. And so even though most people at this point in time in 2023 would not necessarily say that a double bind situation causes schizophrenia like they did decades ago. It is a very deeply troubling situation to be in. And so one of the things that happens if you're in a double bind situation is you, you typically end up with a deep sense of personal insecurity, a huge sense of guilt and confusion over values. Now, double bind situations like scapegoating can be found in unhealthy or toxic or dysfunctional families. Really, the, the scapegoating and the double bind are tools for manipulation and submission because they invalidate the opinions and thoughts of the other person and they invalidate the feelings of the other person and prevents you know some action and it can also be considered what they call a crazy making tactic or end result where the person feels like they're a little bit crazy so the impact of scapegoating so the impact of scapegoating or double bind, very similar here, uh, but the impact of scapegoating from the research is self-blame and self-loathing, 
Number one, self, self-blame, self-loathing. Number two, you do not believe you are worthy of good things. Now that means it, like it's a fluke or a mistake if something really good happens to you. Number three, you don't believe it when people like you, so you're filled with doubt if someone likes you or loves you. Uh, number four, when something goes wrong, you take the blame and you're the fall guy. Number five, you're usually someone who's been the scapegoat usually sets low goals to avoid failure. You have problems setting and accomplishing goals, trust issues, shame, relationship issues, repeating the pattern yourself by ending up with a narcissistic partner or low self-esteem, which is kind of incorporated in all of the above uh, impacts. So they're not good impacts. Now, if you were scapegoated as a child, there are a number of different ways that you might have responded and they call that coping strategies for a scapegoated child. They're very interesting. So one of them is to become the caretaker. So you become as a child, the caretaker of one or more parent, which could mean you're the emotional caretaker, the physical caretaker. It could mean you take on more chores like cutting the grass or household responsibilities or other other things so the caretaker is number one number two is problem solver that would be helping to handle things for the family number three is protector you defend either a parent and or younger siblings from first verbal or and or physical abuse number four truth teller this person child the coping strategy is they question the family they question the family system and an attempt to talk with the family about the family dysfunction yeah let me tell you that's probably not a good good idea number five is the perfectionist slash achiever this is common i don't know how common in respect to the other options for coping but in the perfectionist achiever uh coping strategy a scapegoat child attempts to win approval or in some cases avoid criticism uh, from or, or negative disapproval narratives about themselves through high achievement and perfectionist patterns they tend to develop a harsh inner critic a need for control and unrealistic standards for themselves and others the next coping strategy is a rebel, and that would be using defiant behavior to deal with their frustration and powerlessness. Again, rebel not necessarily implying bad behavior or anything bad. And number seven, interestingly enough, sadly, is the collapsed coping strategy. And in the collapsed coping strategy, a scapegoated child fails to thrive. They become mentally unstable, chronically ill, suicidal, institutionalized, homeless, consumed by addictions and or incarcerated so any number any one of those things as adults repeated crises or it end up in collapse that tragically often ends in early death by illness suicide addiction or violence so those are eight different uh so those are seven different coping strategies the eighth for a uh, scapegoated child is the covert narcissist and in this case the scapegoated child being scapegoated as a child can lead to a, a form of narcissism and they may cloak their rage uh, superior and desire for control in passive passive aggression so some and interestingly enough some children who are scapegoated as children 
as adults move into the position of being the family black sheep. Although again, not necessarily because they've done something illegal or immoral or wrong. It could literally be because they are successful. It could be a, a number of different reasons. So you see, I'm, I'm hoping that you're starting to see that there's some similarities here that they're, they're these are all found in dysfunctional and unhealthy families. They are tactics of abuse and manipulation. They have extremely serious negative impacts for the most part on a child, meaning that it's trauma or an adverse childhood event or experience for a child. And it has a theme of rejection, abandonment, not fitting in, not being good enough. Now, if we were talking about this all the time, you probably would have, we would have more people who are awake and aware. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm the family black sheep. Oh yeah, this is a double bind. But we are, we are unfortunately still doing this. We're doing this to children and adult children. And the value is that you can, you can flip the script and, and recognize that this is going on. I'm going to give you an example of the power of understanding um, this type of thing. So in this this example, I'm giving an example of a double bind situation because when you can give language to a situation, when you can name it, you can own it, you can claim it, and you can actually make a difference in it and, and, and change things up, you're not stuck with it. So I, of course, am late to the party for many things. <laughs> and I was late to the party for scapegoating, double bind, and black sheep, but I've arrived. And, and so uh, years ago, I learned about the double bind situation, which I found fascinating. So uh, in the last couple of years, I had a situation where I had put some things in storage and I had some things that I didn't think I wanted to put in storage. So I was trying to make arrangements. And so I had a possession or so of mine that someone agreed to kind of watch over and hold on to for me. And then when I was ready, and this was, they volunteered that I didn't ask them. And I did send them money for doing it, although I'm not even sure if they cashed the checks. Uh, but when I was ready to get my stuff back, they um, they went. They had made a decision that they were going to keep my stuff. I oh, know. Yes, they made a decision they were going to keep my things, and and then they began using tactics of manipulation and abuse to try to make me feel bad for wanting my possessions back, and and it got worse. Like it, that was shocking to me because of course. I could have kept my possessions with me. I could have done other things had I known. But then the caretaker, the person who had my my possession, my possessions, um, got went with the gang mentality and got another person involved to say that I was like this horrible, crappy person for wanting my stuff back or even thinking that I should have my own things back and saying mean and degrading things to me. So then this third party, this other party starts contacting me to say I'm, I'm like the worst person in the world, basically, for wanting my own things back. And, and I'm really blindsided by this because, you know, you think you know people. Well, you don't really know people sometimes. So um, what I recognized, though, in this exchange with this third party was that I was literally in a double bind situation, like in the moment, in the heat of the exchange, because I was shocked, I recognized, well, I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't, because this person will think really 
horribly of me if I don't get my possessions back. Uh, and they'll think horribly if I, if I, if I, you know, let them, let them, you know, like any way I was going to be bad. Any, anything I did, let them keep my possessions or take them back. I was going to be the horrible, you know, wicked witch of the West or East or wherever. So that gave me power. That gave me power in the moment to say, oh, this is a double bind situation. I can't win. You're going to be upset if I take my stuff back and you're going to be upset if I let them keep my stuff. And it was very powerful because that really put an end to it because it put an end to it because then I took back my power. I was then in the powerful seat to be able to say, I'm going to do what I want, which is to take back my stuff. And that was extremely powerful. It was a game changer to in the moment recognize. Now, if you're dealing with a situation where you are in a double bind or you're the black sheep or you're you're being scapegoated, these situations are not your fault. You might feel like it's your fault, but I'm telling you, you did not create that because this is the thing. Healthy people do not engage in scapegoating. They do not put people in no-win situations, and they do not make people out to be the black sheep just because they're different or because they've had an unfortunate circumstance or unfortunate thing happen to them or, or they did made a mistake. So, but the power of this is if you've been dealing with a lifetime of either depression or anxiety or addictions or overeating or hoarding or any number of issues, including suicidal thoughts, this might be the reason why. This absolutely could be the reason why you are feeling those things because it's really horrible if you're the scapegoat. And I do want to say that this behavior making your child a scapegoat or whether it's at work it's just as toxic if it's at work or in another setting but it tends to be more problematic if it's happening to a child growing up because they're not an adult and i'm not saying that it's less problematic if it happens to you as an adult i'm just saying it tends to be a little bit more problematic when it happens to children because they're still developing but this will happen in dysfunctional families where you have a narcissistic parent but You don't have to have a narcissistic parent to have this happen. People can be toxic or manipulative or, you know, have other negative traits and not be a narcissist. This is, however, classic narcissistic behavior, but that doesn't mean that you had a parent who was a narcissist. We're just distinguishing here that not everybody who does manipulative or abusive behaviors is a narcissist. Now, you could be dealing with a psychopath. You could be dealing with a sociopath. You could be dealing with an antisocial personality personality disorder person. You could be dealing with any type of thing. But this is not your fault. And the freedom and power for you becomes in owning, if this happened to you, that it happened to you and begin to take back your power. Now, if you're on the other end where you were actually part of the family tribe that did this to one of your siblings or God forbid your parent or, or, you know, if you were participating in this scapegoating of another at work or wherever, then the appropriate thing for you to do once you recognize that is to apologize, be brave, be courageous, ditch your ego, ditch your pride and apologize. You will feel better. Trust me. If you realize you've done somebody wrong, the best way to feel better is to apologize. Now, 
I know, I know from coaching people, I know from coaching people that many times people are afraid to make an apology because they're afraid they're going to be rejected or they're afraid that their apology will land like a thud or just not have the impact they want. And I'm telling you, get over yourself. If you're dealing with someone who's brittle, who's fragile, who's got some issues, then it is probably likely that your apology might not go that well because that's what brittle, fragile, harsh, rigid people do. They, they're not open to forgiveness and love and acceptance. But a decent and kind human being is going to recognize that you probably, whatever mistake you made, even if it has, if it's unrelated to scapegoating, uh, being a, the black sheep or a double blind, it's going to recognize people make mistakes and and probably be very forgiving and loving towards you and, and recognize that it's, 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 a, it's a grown up action. It's a grown up action, a sign of maturity to apologize because it's the one thing many people will not do. I know, like, no, it's the one thing that many people will not do. So if you've done this or participated, you might not have been the ringleader. It might've been your parents, might've been, you know, cousins or, you know, if it was in a friend group, it might've been the friend leader, you know, but if you recognize this happen in a peer group or family or any situation and you participated, don't beat yourself up. Just get in front of it and apologize. So that's if you were kind of on the dishing out end of, of this. So what do you do if you've been on the receiving end? Well, I have some suggestions that will help you move through this so that you can have an amazing life because that's what I want for you. So number one, the first step is you will want to process your wounds, the pain, the hurt, the trauma, the anger, the resentment, the betrayal, and all of it. That's first. Now, we do not typically teach people how to process and manage their emotions. We talk about it online. If you Google it online, you're going to get the physical actions to take, which is not what you do in your mind. I'm talking about processing it in your mind because we know that the things that you do not process do not go away. They become more problematic. So I have a free emotional workbook on my website. You can download it. It's free. It's right below the Newsweek logo. And go through the workbook step by step, step by step by step before you move on. You will have to grieve the loss because when you've been a scapegoat or you've been in a double bind or you've been the black sheep, that that is, there, there's a loss there. There's a loss of relationship. There's a loss of love. There's a loss of the ham, ha, healthy family. There's a, there's a loss of so many things. Like you probably, in my opinion, will have to grieve it out. If, if it were me, I would suggest definitely grieve it out, like grieve it out, cry it out, feel the pain. It's the one thing, if you're just coming to terms with the fact that you've been the family scapegoat, this is like a very deeply painful thing. It, it really is. It's just no way around it. And it's uncomfortable and we don't like pain. <laughs> we don't like pain, but if you want to have an amazing life, here's your hot tip. You will want to become more skilled at dealing with painful things because it is the painful things, the hurt, the wounds, the trauma, the anger, the resentment, the betrayal that take you out of the game of life. And you do not, in my opinion, want negative emotions to be running your life. It is how it goes for most people. 
So if you take my advice and my suggestion, this first one, which is to process all of the hurt, the wounds, the anger, the betrayal, the resentment, all of it, eventually, eventually, now this is not going to come right away in a day, in a week, it might take weeks, it might take months, might take a year, might take whatever, but eventually you could get to the point if you, if you want to, if you do the work where you could choose to forgive them. Now we know from uh, the research that forgiveness is much healthier mentally and emotionally than holding a grudge. You are welcome to hold a grudge. It's your life. It's your mental health. It's completely up to you. But I'm suggesting what we know from the research is forgiveness is much more healing and much healthier. But you have to deal with your emotions before you can get to the point to even consider forgiveness. And for myself, I'm a big fan of forgiveness. I have a whole podcast on the healing nature of forgiveness because I do think forgiveness is very, very healing. So that's the first step. You're going to have to dig down and learn some emotional skills. It's highly likely, it's predictable, you don't have those emotional skills because we're not teaching them. We're, we're just, we're not even talking about it. We do not in society even have an agreement worldwide on the definition of good mental health. We do not even at the present time, have a list of criteria for what constitutes good mental health, which is pretty disturbing and sad, but it is the state of affairs. So that's number one. Number two, it would be helpful while you're processing your emotions and going through the workbook, which I hope you will do, that you start to notice how this impacted you. How did this put you together? Because mostly it is our negative experiences and our traumas and our pain that give us trauma responses. And we then become organized or put together as a response. So, you know, so for if you were the scapegoat growing up, how did that impact you? Well, some people grow up and they can see the dysfunction in their family and the brokenness and they come out stronger and healthier. But that is not normally the case. That is not normally the case. So for many people, it fuels low self-esteem. It fuels self-loathing. It fuels, you know, it could fuel being an overachiever and, you know, but it could fuel addictions. It could fuel depression. It could fuel all kinds of negative things. But you want to begin to notice because it, it's very powerful when you can say to someone, well, you know, I don't like to bother or annoy you because that's my trauma response. So let's have a deal where if I am bothersome or I'm annoying you, you will just tell me because that will work for me. And of course, hopefully that would make you happy. But you can deal with your trauma responses when you have a handle on them. So I would suggest you notice that. My next suggestion, number three, is that you get your mental and emotional fitness house in order. Now I do, I do have a recent podcast about your mental and emotional fitness checklist that will help you because when you are the scapegoat or if you have been the scapegoat or in a double bind or the black sheep, the thing that is going to save you in my opinion, well, you could be saved by God and faith and religion. That's for sure. But the thing that's not God or religion that will save you is having skills skills and abilities because you can flourish when you have strong and I mean really strong mental and emotional health well so you want to hopefully triumph over being scapegoated or a double bind 
hopefully you want to triumph over that and to do that you will need to learn new skills and making your mental and emotional fitness your priority is like the golden ticket it is i promise you and <laughs> what will happen if you're the scapegoat or you are the scapegoat in any in any environment or you're in a double bind in any environment or the black sheep People, if you go on this journey to become healthy and really emotionally and mentally fit, oh, people will not like it. They will not like it at all. They will rail against the changes you make or you're trying to make. They will not like it. Unhealthy people pretty much kind of depend on the unhealthy dynamic. So when you change the game, by bringing boundaries or healthy coping mechanisms or by saying, well, that doesn't make me happy. I'm willing to do X, Y, or Z, but not that, you know, when you start, you know, advocating for yourself, becoming a little more assertive, having boundaries, they will be like, they might be like balled up in a snit. They might be furious. So you do want to expect that. But the most important thing is if you get your mental and emotional fitness and house in order, I doubt that anybody could take that away from you. People could, could will try to chip away at it. The unhealthy people will. I promise you they will. But you'll be in good shape. Number four, you might reach a point where you have to distance yourself from some or many people, you know, in some cases, all of them, uh, for your own peace of mind and mental and emotional health. Now, that happens. It does happen. And, and if that's what's best for you mentally and emotionally and for your peace of mind, I want you to have that be okay. I know it's not normal. And I know that you will have a, a sense of loss and a sense of grease, or you might not. You might just be happy you figured it out and off you go. It's different for different people. But what I would suggest is don't pretend that you don't care. It is a broken promise and a huge negative, nasty thing when your own family or your peer group or whomever treats you badly, scapegoats you, puts you in a double bind or whatnot. So pretending you don't care, you, you could pretend you don't care, but I suggest that's probably not true. So you might have to distance yourself or you might have to walk away, which by the way, the distancing yourself or walking away is also likely to cause an upset, small or big. You have to focus on yourself, your mental and emotional health and fitness, and taking care of yourself. Understanding that unhealthy people will just be screaming. They'll be like a poked pig. So you have to do things to protect yourself, protect your mental health. I'm telling you, stay the course. Now, you could, <laughs> I'm laughing at this, oh my gosh. I hope I can spit it out. You could, <laughs> if you were really brave. You could suggest family therapy, if it's your family. And in which case, most of them will run screaming away, like most likely. Because the more unhealthy someone is, the less likely they are to get into therapy because they don't want to look at their lives. They don't want to be introspective. They don't want to really have that level of self-awareness. But you could suggest family therapy and watch them run like the sky is falling. But don't feel bad if you do need to distance yourself or walk away from some people in whatever situation. Now, if you do have to walk away or distance yourself, I want you to really brace yourself because you could then uh, suffer from smear campaigns. You could suffer from 
people trying to shame you into coming back to the fold, whether it's your friend group or work or, or family. And and that's that's a common tactic. It really it really is. And you can succumb to that. I just don't recommend it. So you might need to create new holiday traditions and celebrations if you're putting distance where you have to walk away. You might have to get a whole new friend group if this has happened in a friend group situation because someone is the green-eyed monster and you're their, their happy target. But when you deal with your emotions day in and day out and you learn those skills, this becomes easier to do because the more skills you have, the the easier it is I promise you but you know grieve any losses I mean if you have to go get a new friend group that's painful if you lose a someone who you thought you'd be friends with for life because of scapegoating or double bind or etc it's painful it's just painful but grieve it out deal with it and then do what's going to protect your mental health and your emotional health and my next point number six is that you remember that you are not alone in this it's often comforting, not not wildly comforting, but a little comforting to know that you are not alone and the commonality of this. This is something we're not talking about, but is extremely common. And you can just look online. You can find many books about scapegoating or the narcissistic mother or father. I'm not saying that, you know, all scapegoating is done by a narcissist, but it might it might be might be very common that that's the case but you're not alone you're not the first person this has happened to and you will never be the last person although i'd love for you to be the last person now my next suggestion number seven is i do not recommend that you expect them to change i i do not recommend you expect them to start looking at themselves or to grow up i it's possible but it is extremely unlikely extremely it's not impossible it's, nothing's impossible but it's extremely unlikely. So for you, the best option is not to put your expectations or your hopes or your desires over on them, but to focus on making your life great and your life, your own life happy. My next suggestion, number eight, is to start setting goals if you haven't already and take action on your goals. Well, I've already given you the number one goal, which is you know, print out my emotional processing workbook that's free and start using it. That's a good goal because that goal, if you learn that, I promise you, your life will change forever. It will change forever. And I have been told by people who've been using it now, because it's been out for many months, as that it's really not difficult. It's very direct and very straightforward and very easy. Um, but I hope if you're going to set goals, like I do hope you will set goals, because we know from the research that setting goals will help you be happier, that you have a reward system to spur you on. Because who doesn't like having little rewards? I don't know. I haven't met anybody yet that doesn't like rewards. Rewards are fun. They're enjoyable. They don't have to break the, break the bank. I do have a podcast about having a reward system. So help yourself level up with little rewards along the way. My next suggestion, number nine, is to focus on self-care and self-compassion. This is what two of the areas that are typically bankrupt or devoid if you were the family scapegoat or if you are a scapegoat currently or in a double bind situation so bringing attention back to yourself starting to embrace yourself starting to love yourself starting to appreciate your imperfections and how you got put together and having compassion for yourself oh please some of you people are so mean to yourselves you're just vicious you're like sid vicious to yourself 
And first of all, that's unpleasant to see. Nobody likes that. Like, no, start noticing in other people you don't like it when they're, like, mean to themselves because it's, it's uncomfortable and it's unpleasant. So focus on your self-care and your self-compassion. I have podcasts on all these topics to help you. And my last suggestion is that you make love and affection a priority. This is clearly something, if you're the family scapegoat or you were the family scapegoat or you are a scapegoat in, at work or in friend group or in any other situation or you're in a double bind or you're the black sheep, typically let me just tell you love and affection is clearly missing that's part of the whole definition is this is designed to invalidate you invalidate your feelings invalidate your emotions invalidate you so bringing love and affection into your life is a, an effective way to start to counterbalance the negative and begin you know, healing now it doesn't have to be romantic love if you're if you're a no to romantic love so what I, I was a no for a long time to romantic love, but God had other plans. So now I'm a yes, just waiting for him to show up. But you can have lots of love and affection that's platonic. Like I have love and affection in my life right now. It's just platonic. And now I'm ready to have both. So whatever it is, I don't care. You can make a choice and it's really fine with me. If you're a no to romantic love, that's okay. It's your life. But bring love and affection into your life with intention. I have several podcasts on love. Running away from love. Yep, done that. You know, like the lost art of love and affection. So start to become awake and aware and start to do the work, whatever work you have to do to bring healing and make yourself available to love and affection. I mean, clearly, if I've run away from love <laughs> in the past, which I have, I am laughing, but not proud of it. That is not a proud moment. No, no, no. But I can laugh about it because now I have skills where and I have awareness. So it's not going to happen again because I'll be able to say to some guy, hey, look, I, I'm a runner. <laughs> so, so you might need to know that. <laughs> and we could like laugh and have a great conversation about the things that I do. Like it doesn't have to ha ha tie me up in a ball. I don't have to be like incapable of having love just because I, I might have some, some little brokenness or issues. But make love and affection a priority. So I wouldn't expect an apology but this does not have to ruin your life. It's painful. Yep. Oh, it's a problem. It is a big problem. It's a common problem, sadly. But this doesn't have to ruin your life. It could be the springboard for you having a whole new life and a whole amazing life and a better life than you could imagine if you get into action um, and and do the work and do the things that will make a difference. I hope that's been helpful. That's it for now. I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life podcast, episode number 150, Scapegoats, Black Sheep, and Double Bind Situations. You may just be waking up to the fact that you've been the scapegoat or you're in a double bind situation, but that can give you the ultimate power and freedom for a better and happier life. I hope you found some insights here. I certainly hope and request that you share this on social media to help other people recognize the dynamics in their life and get power for themselves. That's all. I love you. Hang in there. Take care for now.